1: Talk radio safe recovery. This is Monica Richardson and I am your host. Today is August fifteenth, two thousand and seventeen, and I really think I need to change my opening music again. Uh, It's time to change after many years and get rid of the step stuff. Uh, today we have Doctor Ed Wilson from non Twelve Step Uh, this is in located in Southern California, just a little bit south of Los Angeles. Um, Dr. Ed Wilson is the Clinical Director of Non-12-Step Program Director, uh, did his graduate and postgraduate work at St. Mary's University of Minnesota with an emphasis on alternative alcohol abuse and alcoholism treatment. Ed is also a California Master Registered Addiction Specialist and a nationally certified Master Addictions Counselor. Uh, If you go to their site, which is www.non12step.com, it's a really, really great website. Um, the phone number is in Los Angeles is 310-541-6350. And the U.S. and Canada, in a toll-free number is 888-541-6350. And you have Dr. Mary Ellen Barnes and Dr. Ed Wilson created this program. And he's going to come on right now and tell you all about it. But it's actually very, very unique. And I'm glad that it's been doing well and growing and without any further we'll put you on ed here we go oh okay hey there there we go thank you that was very nice right well i was just singing so i think my singing voice just came in there I, I just switched hats i was practicing music with my friend anyway hi nice to have you on ed. hello
2: i don't sing so my voice is not is just the way it is normally
1: Oh, well, it's very nice i think it's a great voice. Um, Yeah, so it's been many years since we first got introduced to us through Gabrielle Glaser, who wrote uh, the book uh, Why Women Drink Right and How They Can Regain Control. Um, uh, Let's start with thanking you so much for being out there and doing the work that you're doing. Pretty, pretty important. Um, I know we have a lot of questions, but I just want to ask this. Uh, How many years have you had... This uh, program, you call it a program? Dr. Barnes, Mary
2: Ellen, and I (coughs) opened this practice here in Palos Verdes uh, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I designed the model for this when I was in graduate school at St. Mary's in the 1990s. And it took me a very long time to find the right person because we work as a team and -hmm. take two of us to do this, and it took a long time for me to find Dr. Barnes and for she and I to settle in, so we've been doing this quite comfortably and happily now for 12 years.
1: Yeah, and what would make, like, so you have maybe one aspect and she comes from another place, like what are the two different places you both come from that makes it so good you working together?
2: Well, part of it is not so much differences in where we sort of come from background-wise. What's important is we work as a team, which and I'm the person who had a vodka problem a zillion years ago. Mm -hmm. She's the person who had a family member that she was delegated to find help for and discovered there wasn't any. Yeah. Um, So... When we are working with a client, we're frequently working with the spouse as well, and sometimes both people have an alcohol problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But even when we're just dealing with a, you know, one has a problem, the other one doesn't couple, each person feels like they have someone who understands their side of things. and right you don't end up with the triangulation that dooms almost all couples work where you know, if the if the client's a woman and the therapist is a woman, the man feels ganged up on and vice versa. Yeah. So right. by having a team that works then you you do. You'd simply avoid that problem. You know, or that escape route, if you will. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, when we're working with the spouse, we get to deprogram the spouse from all of the AA mythology, which everybody Mm -hmm. has been soaked in in this culture for the last 50 years. And Mm -hmm. we get to teach spouses how to be supportive, because most of the things that spouses think are supportive aren't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's really true. That's so great. Now, when you say that, I mean, I I certainly know that, too, that everybody is so brainwashed. Like, when I talk to people about it, there are people who were never even in it who want to fight with me about yeah. what's oh, true yeah. and isn't. They're <laughs> Like, oh, that nobody has gets court-ordered, and nobody – I'm like, what? Like, yeah, they do, and they're like, oh, you know, you can't do that. I'm like, what, what are you, like to... – <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so mm, – yeah, I'm sure you have a job there. Uh,
2: do you have? But there's, uh, you know, there's one, one of the funny ones is, is that we'll hear, especially with the holidays, we'll, we'll hear this one. They'll say, well, you know, since Monica here's been through treatment, I guess we won't be serving any wine at Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> this year. <laughs> and we will say, and because Uncle Otto is a little obese, I guess we won't be serving any food either. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh, mm. so, well. And I want to tell you what we tell yeah, people about being supportive is very simple. We say, if you want to be supportive, him or her, what they find to be supportive, and then believe them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah. Or how about asking them what they want to do? Like, I remember when I interviewed on Horvath, right, right. and I said, well, I mean, even about drinking or not, right, Obstinence or not, right, or do they want to moderate, like, right? Even that question, 2011, I was like, what? Wait a minute. What do you ask them? And then, you know, he told me, and it was the first interview that I (laughs) did with them, and I was (laughs) so shocked, but happily shocked. You know what I mean? It was really... Well, tell us
2: what you want. What is your outcome preference? We will tell you what the odds are, (laughs) and the odds vary depending on the client, but that's another reason why we only work with individuals and couples, is because everybody's situation is different. Everybody is medicating different stuff or a mosaic of different things. And what's appropriate to them and their preferred outcome is going to be unique. So, you know, we've seen, I don't know, five, six hundred clients, I suppose, over the last dozen years. And the recommendations for everybody vary. I mean, Uh there are, yes, there are some things we recommend for everybody. We think you should be Discovering whether or not Naltrexone, for example, is helpful, and for about 70% of people, it is. And we say it would probably be a good idea to do that for three to six months, so you're less distracted while you're changing your day-to-day life routines and you know incorporating what's going to work for you. Right. But you, you do. It's a mosaic of. You know, we do CBT. We do a ton of assertiveness training, which is completely, of course, anathema to AA. The last thing they want is assertive people in there, as you well
1: know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I I think that's really important. There was a guy who gave me a book when I was, like, in my second year in AA, in the 70s, Mm -hmm. who handed me a book about assertiveness training. a really nice guy. Let's talk about the difference between your – uh, we have a whole bunch of good questions, but being that we're here, what makes yours so different than any other? I'm not going to call you a rehab, right? You don't know want me to call you a rehab? Do I, no, I don't do care what you.
2: On on this line, we're kind t- of talking
1: the same stuff, so the yeah, we're on this. Right, right. So it <coughs> yeah. treatment you do treatment there, and but tell me, let's tell all our listeners. Uh, What's the difference between you and And the classic twelve step out there?
2: Yeah, and the big (laughs)
1: difference is
2: is please, folks, it's not a disease, it's a symptom.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. the misuse of alcohol, is not a disease. It is a symptom that you are medicating rather than addressing things that you need to address. Things, you know, typically loneliness, anxiety, uh, boredom, depression, trauma, uh, physical pains, uh, role changes, retirement, emptiness syndrome for women uh, in their you know, middle 40s to 50s, sometimes it's using Chardonnay as hormone replacement therapy without even knowing (laughs) you're doing it because alcohol goes (laughs) to estrogen receptors and so on and so forth. Uh, uh Uh, There are people who, like me, have, you know, gerbils running around inside our heads and we use them to put them to sleep. Uh (laughs) So... Everybody has a mosaic. They're medicating a little of this and a lot of that. We see a ton of unbalanced personal relationships. That's where the assertiveness training comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, alcohol, misuse or abuse of alcohol is a really wonderful passive aggressive F you to a controlly spouse. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> So, you know, there's all sorts of things going on, and most people just can't even figure out where to sort of put in a piton to start climbing back out of this stuff. So we spend time sorting, prioritizing, and coming up with stuff that actually works that are based on the client's strengths, interests, abilities, and successes. (laughs) Instead of saying you're this powerless dolt who needs to fall into the 10-year-old line here, and we don't do that.
1: Yeah, we don't. Now, you were studying way back when, and your thoughts were uh, were you already like alerted to that you didn't like AA and that you wanted to be trained in something else, and what did that look like way back then?
2: No okay. Way
1: back then
2: was after an avalanche of personal tragedies, I retreated into the bottom of a vodka bottle and stayed there buried in the avalanche for maybe longer than I should have. But I knew mm-hmm. then that that AA would kill me. It wouldn't help me. Mm. Uh, and I was not going there. So I spent a couple, right. three years digging my way out of my personal avalanche there. And Then, some years later, when I was ready to go to graduate school, I went to St. Mary's because they would let me design my own programs and let me research the stuff I wanted to research. Mm hmm. Um, Oh, that's good to know. I
1: -hmm. had
2: done a, well, St. Mary's at that point, this was 1990, and St. Mary's had just opened up a master's program in human development that was essentially for women uh, in their 40s and 50s who needed to upgrade or update credentials after the children were raised or needed... Mm -hmm. You know, to get back into the job market. So I became, I was a single parent who had just finished raising my two adopted kids. So I got to be the token male in the program. (laughs) Uh, But the deal was that they let me design what I wanted to do, what I wanted to research. So (laughs) uh, basically, I designed each of my courses to be a chapter in my eventual thesis, I designed my thesis to be the rough draft for my dissertation, I designed my dissertation many a long year ago to actually be the book that I am currently finishing up, which is called AA, Who It Helps, Who It Harms, Who It Kills, and Why.
1: Wow, wow. So let's let's go to that question. And the first one is, who does AA help harm and kill and why? Scott, let's address that. That's a perfect segue.
2: It's actually not particularly difficult. Back in the (laughs) 1950s, my crotchety old uncles, who I will confess were younger then than I am now, but I still see them from my 12-year-old eyes as my crotchety old uncles, and they said, AA, oh, that's the Peter Pan Society for all little boys never want to grow up.
0: Mm.
2: And in point of fact, I did get my master's and my doctorate proving they were right. Mm -hmm. AA works for people whose emotional and psychological development was arrested prior to the age of 12. And it works for the predators who prey on them. Mm -hmm. And it works for hyper-conscientious people, Uh, I think you know who some of those are, who (laughs) spend their time trying to save the flock from the wolves. So it, it works for the flock, who are the, you know, people there at rested at 6 to 12 years old. It works for the predators who prey on them and frankly own most of the rehab programs in the country. Mm -hmm. And temporarily, or for greater or longer periods of time, it works for all of you who are focused on saving people or fixing AA until you figure out it's not going to happen. Right, right. To save yourselves.
1: (laughs) Yeah, really. And I think, uh, well, that's an interesting list of people. um, You know, of who I think super controlling people that wind up in the cult, like the Pacific Group or the Atlantic Group. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, I, I took a producer. Uh, to a pacific group meeting she had no idea what a meeting was like and i thought okay i'm going to take you to a small meeting and a huge meeting and we went Mm -hmm. she could not actually i couldn't believe the behavior of the women who were guarding the gates as we walked Mm -hmm. in a little late because we couldn't get parking and i was like are you kidding me and i it was just really a weird experience but um, well, this is good. So you have created something that's really different. We've written this book. When is the book uh, still oh, writing it? Or is it I'm in hoping stages? I'll have it
2: done by the first of the year, but yeah. I've been lazy lately. But the other part is, <clears throat> and it doesn't matter. The people who it helps, it helps. Fine, leave them alone. What happens, mm-hmm. though, is alcohol, in addition to being a depressant, is a regressant it causes us to behave at a younger developmental level than we actually are so excuse me normal people if they drink enough will regress themselves down where they appear to fit into aa these are the people that aa harms because when they quit drinking they bounce back to their normal level, which means they've mm-hmm. literally outgrown AA, but they are so brainwashed and terrified they're afraid to leave. And they can stay stuck there for decades.
1: Do you people coming pe- to you who are actually still not drinking and, and who need help deprogramming, or is that yeah. not your thing?
2: Do you help no, people do, do that? No, we do that. We do deprogramming. Mm-hmm. We get people who are saying, I need out of here and I'm scared to death.
0: Mm, uh-huh.
2: so we do that as well now then there is a group of people who aa kills people kills aa kills people who are precociously too old for their age shall we say people who are gifted in the arts people who mm-hmm. are you know gifted in other ways because wow. it says that what makes you unique you have to give up and if yeah, I have to give yeah. up what is making me unique, I
1: might as well hang myself
2: or creep yeah, myself right. to death.
1: That's right. That's why all these people in the movie business and even the musicians, uh you know, it's so true and very sad. Every time I listen to Whitney Houston, I was such a fan mm-hmm. of hers in the 80s. And I think of Whitney and I think it would be interesting to talk about to her close because she never bought into it. She would never, I don't know, uh I didn't really research her as much as other people um, when I was making the movie about, but we know that she didn't buy into it. She wanted to drink, and so she drank. But mm-hmm. the dynamic in Hollywood and the music business is such that then you get ostracized, you get labeled, "Oh, she's yeah. a drunk." You know, I mean, I was even in the car with somebody who did it about Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. he's an alcoholic, and I said, "No, he's not. He doesn't <laughs> drink <coughs> vodka anymore. He drinks wine." You know, I, the article in the New York Times, you clearly. You know, went to rehab, left, it doesn't like it. But he's alive today, you know, uh, many yeah, of these but other. The, you're you're yeah. so the point right, is,
2: though. The is, with yes. that label, and we tell people, well, on the first day, we say there are words you need to eliminate from your vocabulary. And uh-huh. those are alcoholic, alcoholism, relapse, and in recovery. Those uh-huh. serve no Function unless you want to keep on drinking and not take responsibility
1: for it. Hmm. Well, I just love <laughs> you right now, man. You're just like right. You know, I mean, I have this deprogramming group on Facebook. Uh, it's called. Yeah, deprogramming. Yeah, well, you yeah. know, you're actually you're you're, you're yeah. in it. That's right. I would like you're one of the professionals that's in it and re- and reacts. But it is really language. It's was well, so yes. important. Yeah. Language is so important. Uh, When people still say that word, I'm like, God, you're like, you're really rubbing me the wrong way. Like, just don't use that word around me. I hate it. Well,
2: we use a little sports psychology on that one. We say, now, give us a break here. If you're a young Olympian girl gymnast... You uh-huh. don't stand there next to the balance beam and say, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
2: And I say, if you stand there and get up three times a week and say, hi, hey, my name's Ed, and I'm an alcoholic, what do you expect you're going to become? Yeah, yeah. You become what you tell yourself. Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. And... So if you eliminate alcoholic, for which there is no definition, an alcoholic is just somebody who drinks more than I think they should. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: But there is no, you know. And back in the 19th century, a writer named Booth Tarkington said, "There are two things that will be believed of anyone whatsoever, and one is that they've taken to drink." <laughs> hmm. So the whole business, i mean, hell, people have been giving up alcohol for as long as there's been alcohol, or they have been modifying their drinking for as long as there's been drinking. It has been forever. Um, back the kind of the irony about doing all of my graduate work in Minneapolis with St. Mary's, there was—I was familiar, of course, that that's the birthplace of selling AA as rehab. And it was a con game that was invented by two institutions in Minnesota in the 1950s who said, ooh, AA is not going to sell itself. We can sell it as rehab, and because it doesn't work, we'll get to recycle clients again and again and again and again. And they were right. (laughs) And they're still doing
1: it. Yeah, they are. Who were the the institutions that started it?
2: Johnson Institute, a man named Vernon Johnson and Hazelton.
1: Yeah, who has a lot of money. Boy, they have... What, what about the place... There's like some rehab that's like in Connecticut or upstate New York that's like... Uh, that Bill Wilson was actually really involved with. Uh, I don't know why my don't mate know. brain just...
2: I, I, yeah, my yeah, brain just went off I, I did not spend a lot of time <clears throat> on, you know, tracking down any of the myriad places that are... The essential revolving door rehabs.
1: Yeah, well, I'll I do was, that. Hopefully, we'll get to do that if I can sell a six-six episode, in you know, a limited series to expose the fraudulent rehab sober living and drug testing. Okay, let's go on to the next well, question. I was going to so, say uh,
2: fraudulent rehab sober living and drug testing is kind of all. That's kind of redundant. <laughs> <laughs> all well,
1: fraudulent. But, but you know what? In the way though, that education. So here's something I found out in the last year. I was like, what, what was th- this whole thing about sober living that was going on, right? And the escalation of, like, you know, I talked to mothers whose children are dead, right? Because mm-hmm. they thought, talk about brainwashing a whole country, that sober living was treatment. And I'm like, yeah. it's not treatment. What? And so I was like, getting really upset. And then people were like, oh, but they go to these IOPs. And I'm like, what's well, an IOP? And you know, I'm an outpatient intensive outpatient. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what happens at the IOP? Oh, more AA. Well, that's not treatment then. And then, so how is insurance? Oh, and I was just like, I feel like I was going down a crazy path. But anyway. um,
2: Yeah, I, I was in Minnesota again about a year and a half ago, and I interviewed a friend of a friend who runs sober living homes in Minneapolis. And he said, oh, yeah, I run different ones depending on how soon the treatment program wants the person to relapse.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Yeah, and my houses are designed to create a 30-day relapse, a six-week relapse, a three-month relapse, a six-month relapse. Wow. Well, that's,
1: uh, the FBI would like to find out about that one. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> they don't yeah, care they would. About, Nobody cares about this stuff. No, they are. They're shutting them down. They shut down Chris well, Baltham. Yeah, but... The other one here, there's like the one in Florida – They've indicted him. He's gone to jail. He's got 25 years for what he was doing. No, they. Well, we can talk about that later. That's yeah. a little diversion here. But, but there, there is a group in the FBI, not the police, that care about it and shutting it down. They do. Okay. So we, we're, there are some. I would good like to give them a laundry list of places they could start with. Yeah. Well, once I visit them, I'll, we can talk before I go visit the FBI. <laughs> yeah. <But> one, you <laughs> because know, one I'm going things... with
2: my. <laughs> Well, we we hear a lot because lots of our clients have been someplace else and walked out mm-hmm.
0: and said, yeah.
2: oh. So we hear, you know, lots of stories about lots of different places. We know which places are paying kickbacks to interventionists and how much and what for and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So,
1: All right. Well, we'll talk when we go to lunch. We, we, we talked about doing that. We'll do that, definitely. I'm not kidding. it's mean, really bad. I mean I have somebody who came to me with all that kind of information it's just I mean I had no idea they're paying five to seven thousand dollars per body
2: to get that's referred. Right. Well yeah. Well yeah. and, yeah. and then, then, then it's 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 actually a sliding fee scale. The longer you get them to stay, the more of a kickback you get. That's disgusting. And that also um, goes for people on medical boards and physicians assistance programs and all of those AA cover groups.
1: Right, the PHP, the, the physicians. I have a couple of yeah, nurses the, and doctors contact me.
2: Yeah, lately. the nurses
1: oh. one in California is especially
2: bad. The doctors one in California, the doctors finally got it shut down, but
1: I hear oh, really? it's coming back. Mm. really? That's with the California Nurses Association. California Nurses Association will
2: not allow anyone to go to any kind of treatment except AA-based. Wow, did you ever? Wow. Well, We've had like, nurses who wanted to come here. We've had nurses who hadn't had a drinking problem in 20 years. Got a DUI twenty years ago, and then moved to California and applied for their license. Oh well, we can't license you until you've been through rehab. What do you mean? I got an a you know a DUI when I was seventeen in high school. Oh well, so you're an alcoholic, and you must go to AA based treatment before we'll give you a license.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's who needs to be exposed. Like we need to contact them and then have them and see who's at the top of that and all that. It's like horrible. Like the FAA. The pilots, they mm-hmm. called the FAA and called the you know the Hims program, and these two guys that run the Hims program, they're two steppers. One guy's got six mm-hmm. years. You know, I mean, I was just whoo. Anyway, I'm going to ask you another question. Why are not individuals assessed as to the degree of their alcohol abuse? Which is such a good question. That you know. Well,
2: okay, we do,
1: <clears throat> we do a couple of things. I mean,
2: we ask people to. Kind of give us a brief history of their alcohol usage. Um, Obviously, somebody who has been drinking, you know, half a bottle of gin every night for 30 years or three bottles, two bottles of Chardonnay a night for 30 years is in a different situation than somebody where this all started going downhill a year ago after a divorce or a death or a diagnosis, you know, something like that. So history is important in terms of, okay, now is this short-term, is this long-term? How much of this is habit? How much of this is compensation? How much of this is normal? I mean, there are times when some alcohol abuse is nearly appropriate. <laughs> uh-huh. So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. So we we do, and then we want to put those together with a person's age. The one piece of formal assessment we do, we do Dr. Jane Levenger's Washington University Sentence Completion Test, <clears throat> which is a measure of emotional and psychological maturity.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And we do that, because, well, for a number of reasons. But one, yeah. it lets us know what we're working with because it tells us what the person is presenting as. Um, the test gives us a floor, doesn't give us a ceiling, but it tells uh-huh. us how the person is willing to relate to us so we know how to establish a working relationship very quickly. And then we can also look through the responses for themes and we can look for high-level responses which show points of interest and all of that kind of stuff so we can uh-huh. quickly establish a good working relationship with the client and it helps us sort out what sorts of, uh, you know, how much do we want to do assertiveness training or need to. It's especially helpful if we can get those assessment tools from the person's spouse, for example, or significant other. So Uh we can see how the interrelationship between the two is, you know, relative to are we talking to someone who rates as a seventy-year-old, even though they're only forty-six, and whose spouse rates as a five-year-old, even though they're fifty-two?
1: <laughs>
2: and we get those. <laughs>
1: That's interesting. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah. So, so we do a lot of assessment. We did a lot of that kind of. Educational work with Gabrielle Glazer when she was working on her best kept secret book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We spent time with her, I spent a lot of time with her on multiple occasions uh, talking about how actual maturity versus chronologic age is a big factor in alcohol abuse. People who are mm. precociously too mature for their age will use alcohol to dumb down to uh, their chronologic peers. Mm. Uh, it's a major source of loneliness. And, again, loneliness is a major source of the misuse of alcohol. So we're looking at the factors. We're looking at the at how to alleviate Conditions address conditions. Uh, Dr. Barnes, Mary Ellen, she's very good at CBT. I'm more the mm-hmm. assertiveness training person, and we mm-hmm. both look at motivation. We look at habit breaking. A lot of people's drinking is habit. Yeah. And yeah, it is as much overlaying old habits with new habits. Uh, mm-hmm. That are things you like. Uh, people will say, well geez, I guess I need a support group. What's a support group look like? We say, uh, here's what a support group looks like. A support group is a bunch of people doing something you like to do or you think you would like to do and is not compatible with drinking. And the people that you are associating with, don't know you ever had an alcohol problem and you have a vested interest in the question never coming up
0: mm-hmm.
2: so a support group is something like Habitat for Humanity <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: the Audubon Society I right mean, get it, involved do, in
1: hobbies get involved Michael, in
2: doing the, stuff
1: doing stuff yeah I just want to introduce you I'm talking to Dr. Ed Wilson uh, from 912 <laughs> Step it's a outpatient alcohol Uh, treatment in Southern California it's uh, how to stop drinking or alternatives to AA or moderate drinking uh, whatever you'd like Uh, yeah well that's really really fascinating Um, why are 90% of rehabs 12-step based because they're based on profit and profits
2: are enhanced by having people continuously relapse and return and also because they're cheap. <clears throat> um, essentially, the staff at most rehabs, the counselors and whatnot, are former clients. They're people for whom AA works and they are sincere for the most part and they mean well and they are easily exploited by the predators who own the treatment centers.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And. You're not going to, you know, have big success rates. Of course, everybody's lucky. There is no,
0: <laughs> there is
2: no monitoring. There is no reporting. Nobody knows but, yeah. So places are free to say, "Oh well, we've got an eighty percent success rate." Yeah, really? Hmm. How's that when AA only has a five percent success rate? Well, yeah, the
1: yeah, who? It's like really. Uh, I was digging through like who the oversight when um, Governor Brown became governor, he eliminated the alcohol. Like there was a, you know, a wing or an arm of the state government, right? And so he got rid of that with one whoosh, or whatever. He got rid of. You might know more about it, but I just know it went away. And then I was like, okay, what is a rehab? Forget about the sober living. We know those are the houses, They're flop houses. But your rehab, I thought, okay, let's see who oversees this. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. So it's the health department. And then underneath the, the, the paragraph that explains what a rehab is, it says it's non-medical treatment. So mm-hmm. why is insurance and how insurance paying for this non-medical treatment? Well, because of the Hughes bill.
2: Senator Hughes was an alcoholic I think from Utah who was a senator back in the 50s and the Hughes bill mandated that. that but it's still but
1: but, for it. but Right. I mean but but like there, so why is insurance paying for something that's non-medical?
2: Well, it's, it's not really medical
1: it doesn't work.
2: Right. <laughs> insurance right. companies are not happy about that. Okay. <laughs>
0: Yeah, a but lot a, of a, going a, on I mean, this.
2: rehab's a $35 billion a year industry. You buy a lot of stuff with that.
1: Yeah, a lot of lawyers working for a lot of those bad guys. We're going to take down a well, few I mean, of
2: them. Well, and just just uh-huh. simple stuff. When Gabrielle was in Minnesota sort of doing a little book stuff, they were going to interview her on Minnesota Public Radio, and one of the big rehab providers called Minnesota Public Radio and said, you remember how much we contribute. You interview her on the air, and contributions are done, and her invitation was canceled. Well,
1: Yeah, I know all about that. Plenty of steppers, you know, in Hollywood. Uh, talk mm-hmm. about human get distribution. I mean, Claudia Christian's film, one little pill should have been on CNN, on HBO. Uh, the business of recovery should have been on any one of the same things, and all of us are just on Amazon, yep, getting like pennies, not even pennies. But anyway, let's go to the next question. Why can't people get confidential help with one exception? Okay, we we do say, and I
2: think it's true that we are the only confidential program in the country. And here are the reasons why other places are not confidential. If you use insurance, it's not confidential because insurance records aren't confidential. Mm -hmm. If you do groups, groups are not confidential. If you do Mm -hmm. AA, AA is not confidential. If you... um, If you work with a doctor who uses an electronic prescription service, which most of them do, to send your prescription to the pharmacy, uh, those electronic prescriptions are all intercepted. And Uh that becomes part of your nationwide (laughs) record. So you can't get the in without ratting yourself out. You can't go to some place that does groups. You can't go to, you know, obviously you can't go to AA. Um, You can't have any hourly staff because Mm -hmm. folks do gossip. In -hmm. addition to Dr. Barnes and myself, the only other two occupants of the office are Phoebe and Scruffy, the office dogs, and they're notoriously (laughs) tight-lipped.
1: So tell us why, for people listening, like we've talked. So would, I would imagine that you are going to get um, many kind of uh, average people, but then the high level professionals. Like, you get pilots and doctors and nurses, people who have not gotten into trouble, who I say, okay, I have an issue, and I'm and I better too fix much. this before it becomes yeah. an issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did, are, are you doctors, getting mostly? attorneys, We get, attorneys, yeah.
2: we get uh-huh. artists. We get athletes. Uh, we get. Lower-level Hollywood people, we won't take high-level, Polly. We won't take high-profile clients. Um, How come? We get, no, they're too hard to, they know too much, and so it's impossible.
1: What about Tucker but, Woods? you got to rescue him from the AA thing. Yeah, no man.
2: thank you, and not <laughs> Lindsay Lowen either. <laughs> oh, my but, goodness. But we get We get people who want, you know, you can't go, you can't disappear for 30 days without ratting yourself out. Right. (laughs) So we're five days, and anybody can go to Southern California for five days, and then there's 12 weeks of follow-up, but that's done by phone or Skype. Uh So people can come here. Uh, The office complex we're in is just a, you know, kind of an older office complex has... Oh, let's see. There's a dentist. There's some insurance people. There's some CPAs. Right. There's some lawyers. There's an architect. There's right. only one person in this complex, even after all these years, who even know what we do here.
1: Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> kind of good. Yeah. Right. Is, yeah, and, and so talk about it. What happens in that the five days that you're in? It's We know it's one-on-one. There are no groups. You just see you and Mary Ellen. Yeah,
2: What's it's actually two-on-one. Out- it's Mary Ellen and me <laughs> and yeah. the client. The yeah. first day, we we have no idea who is going to walk in the door on a Monday morning. I mean, right. we have people who have spent the last four days on a last hurrah, and we have people who you know, detoxed and sobered up for two or three weeks before they showed up, so we don't Uh know. So Monday is called Anxiety Reduction Day because everybody's anxious. Right. So we get a little history. We do a little assessment. Normally their appointment with our consulting physician, Dr. Norcross, is on Monday morning sometime, so if there are going to be withdrawal issues, we catch those instantly. Mm-hmm. and so he does a withdrawal assessment. If that's not a problem, then he writes a paper, Naltrexin Prescription, which we take the client to to a private pharmacy where no record is fed into the nationwide system. Mm. Uh, Good. For clients who are even more concerned than that, we have a relationship with a pharmacy in Canada so they can get the stuff from out of the country. Well, um, good. well good well we take we take people's privacy very seriously. We have people with licenses we have people with security clearances we have people with high level executive positions uh, We've had three billionaires over the course of the last twelve years all self made I might add uh, wow. these are people That's who don't cool. want. Their difficulties showing up to haunt them anywhere. Right,
1: <laughs> right. Now, I saw a lady, like, I think it was on your blog. If I went to your website again, we're talking to Dr. Ed Wilson from Non 12 Step in Southern California, uh, where they were like, was it a lady who was saying, oh, can you please open a place on the East Coast? Was that yes. your, <laughs> Yeah, because I, I had never seen your blog, and so it was a really nice website. I really like it. Uh, it seems really different from what it was maybe five years ago or something. But, yeah, um, we
2: upgraded about five years ago, a little bit before Gabrielle's book came out, and then her book kept us flooded for about two and a half years. and um, We're back to kind of normal now, which we like. We like to see about 40 clients a year.
1: Yeah. Wow. So I guess you, you can only handle so many.
2: It's the two of you, you know. Well, we only take one new client a week. Wow. One new client. And so, what, a what is
1: day two like? Yeah. So we had day one. What What are some of the other okay. things? Okay. Day that, two. Yeah. Then, by that
2: time, we will have assessed the sentence completion tests, and that'll give us some topics to talk about and some some grist for the relationship meal or whatever else. And then usually then Mary Ellen will begin an introduction to cognitive behavioral therapy, because we do (laughs) teach people cognitive behavioral therapy is not something a therapist does to you. It's something you learn and internalize. So we start that process with that. Um, Wednesday, we're kind of heading into assertiveness Training kinds of things. We're getting more in depth into personal and professional relationships and the factors that you're medicating. I mean, what you know, what are you medicating? Are you medicating loneliness, anxiety, boredom? And yes, they will say yes, all of those, and we will
0: say yes. But you know,
2: what's right. it's a mosaic. What are the big pieces? What are the little pieces? And where can we start putting in an ore to? Because people, one thing that's happened is they're medicating so damn many things, they don't even know where to start. So Wednesday wow. is starting to parse out, okay, it's, it's a lot of this and a little of that and a touch of something else and a big piece of this, and where are you? In other words, you know, where are you with regard to, say, your... Your marriage or your relationship or your employment or your career, and Mm -hmm. where do you want to be in three to six months? And how do you get from here to there? And we're looking at measurable, quantifiable goals and routes to get there. So Hmm. if one (laughs) of the things is your job is driving you nuts, right. what do you need to do? Do you need to get go back to school, do you need to get some training, do you just need to dry out enough that you can actually do a focused job search, for example? And we're also looking at people's daily routines because, again, habit
1: is a big factor, much bigger than most people realize. Yeah, so. I sometimes get into it with people, you know, in the different groups about the habit part because everybody likes to say it was trauma. You know, that guy from Canada that uh, mm-hmm. I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of him. You know, and I, the reason that I feel so fortunate when I interviewed people, and this was the guy who was on the AA board who left uh, and who is in my movie, who left with like 30 years when my letter came, and then, then they voted to do nothing. And he was the one who, we talked about habitual Drinking habits, like, along with Dr. Mark Curran, too, but that he was the first guy who talked about guys who worked in the stock market or they worked in these mm-hmm. jobs where it was very habitual, right? And that, so yeah. when people say it, I'm like, no, like there's plenty of people. Not everybody had trauma, childhood trauma. No. And, right, so I love it. I love that. Um, now, have you thought of training people making a model because, you know, we have a, a little problem going on in the United States, which I'm not calling an epidemic, but um, that we could use. They're like they're pouring, and they're going to pour, and actually Obama poured a billion dollars into Models that, you know, we have this horrible model that's still alive and well that just sounds so fantastic. Is
2: we can't, yeah, you know, we don't want to do training and that would also jeopardize people's confidentiality.
1: Right, right. Well, you just keep on doing what you're doing. I mean, you know, it's so oh, like a really doing fantastic what we're doing and, and we write, I mean, I,
2: we send out a Free non twelve step news newsletter every Sunday morning by email. We have about a thousand mm-hmm. subscribers,
0: mm-hmm.
2: so we do our you know we do our sort of bit to help.
1: All right, people here we have uh, keep, yeah yeah. I, I hear it. We have eleven minutes left. I have these two big questions I want to ask you. So this next one okay. we touched on a very little bit in the beginning, but let's talk about it. Where you have two people sitting in front of you and they've been watching you know the the CBS AA. Uh, commercial called Mom, you know, or they've watched Nurse Jackie forever. How do you deprogram people from AA mythology?
2: Okay, part
1: of it is we say,
2: think back. I mean, most of our clients are between 40 and 65. That's the demographic we primarily attract and work with. Mm And we'll say, you know, think back. Don't you know a zillion people that you went to college with who drank up a storm?
0: Uh And then Uh when
2: they got out of college, they stopped because that was part of college. That was then. This is now. Or other people who quit when they got married or people who quit when the first child came along or they, you know, moderated back to whatever. A lot of drinking is peer pressure stuff. A lot of it is self-image stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we do a lot of reminding people about smoking. Now, cigarettes are far more addictive than alcohol is, but, geez, right. well, smokers do not sit around church basements drinking cheap <laughs> wine talking about smoking and thinking that's going to help them. That's right. That's right. Smokers say, I love I'm going to be analogy. miserable mm-hmm. for a while. Right. <laughs> but right. I am going right. to kick the habit. <laughs> Mm. I have have never known anyone who referred to themselves as a smoker in recovery. (laughs) Yeah, it's so weird. Well, okay, but that's the sort of stuff where you get people to see the ridiculousness of most of the AA stuff. And
1: I bet you language, too. You you talk about the language, which you did a little bit. How you talk to
2: yourself, what you talk to yourself. We're talking about we're based on people's strengths, interests, abilities, and uh-huh. their prior successes. You build on mm-hmm. that. You don't tell mm-hmm. people, you're a subhuman. <laughs> I know.
1: You <laughs> have, have men never who have lost, to your, be you lost your normal. legs, Ed. They'll never grow new ones. You're broken. Yes, You're that's just right. broken, and honey. You know. A pickle what?
2: never goes back to being <laughs> a cucumber. <and laughs> oh,
1: my God. That's And so that but leads us to the – Yeah, point yeah, fact
2: everybody knows plenty of people who – change their drinking patterns. Everybody knows people who quit smoking. Everybody knows people who lost 50 pounds or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you don't sign up for being a lifetime loser (laughs) in order to do that. You just say, well, I think it's time. I mean, you know, plenty of folks have a doctor say, you know, your heart is saying you really need to lose some weight and the doctor's been saying that for five years and then they have a heart attack and guess what? Six months later, the weight's gone.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right, but
2: you couldn't do it beforehand. Yeah. It's true. We say, say, importantly, we say, look, the drinking, the alcohol abuse, the misuse, whatever you want to call it, is Mm -hmm. a choice. No, you did not choose to have a problem. But way back when sometime you did decide that I was going to medicate my anxiety in social situations or whatever, and then you decided, oh, it worked okay for that, and it expands to something else. Yeah. So, you know, the phrase I use a lot is you didn't end up here because you're dumb or diseased. You end up here because you did something that worked until it doesn't work anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Now it is time to quit medicating the loneliness, the anxiety, the boredom, the wretched marriage, or whatever it is, and fix it instead. And if you fix what you're medicating, then the
1: medicating goes away. Yeah, that would, that would totally make sense, you know? <laughs> it um, does sense. Yeah, The it makes most common sense. thing
2: we get from callers who have been on our website is, this is the first stuff I've ever
1: read that actually makes sense, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I had really good therapy like when I was in my thirties after I had a child, and to deal with childhood trauma, and mm-hmm. um we would fix things by address very yeah. painful process, but um you know i went to the core of my pain and uh you know, we fixed a lot of things. Not everything, but yeah. you know, plenty of stuff. We have one last question. Um, why are clients purposely disempowered rather than empowered? And clients are disempowered so they'll
2: have to keep coming back. Oh, well, that's really I mean, our that's technical worth. name of our program is your empowering solutions. Yeah. But other programs purposefully disempower people because then they will fail.
1: There's a word for that, and I'm, it's, it's not on the tip of my tongue when someone does that. That's pretty I think nasty. it's called fraud. <laughs> yeah, that's like really bad. But there's another word, too. This fraud is yeah when you know, like when the fact that they actually tell the client that they – they need to go out and use again so that they can come back in, which is why these kids are dying of mm-hmm. you know, the heroin yeah. opiate. But uh, the component about AA is in there, too, with this opiate thing, because they don't want to sit in those meetings for the rest of their lives. They say, I'd rather well, get and, high.
2: Well, and why would – yeah, if you're going to give me that – I'd rather that, die than well. sit
1: with you AA people for the rest of my life. Yeah, you know, I said
2: back when I had my vodka problem, I said if my only two choices are AA or, and, or to keep on drinking, I am going to keep on drinking because there is far more dignity in being a drunk than there is in this stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I've, it's really been a pleasure to have you on <laughs> again, everybody. I am listening to. We're, I'm listening. I'm talking to Dr. Ed Wilson. <laughs> And uh, Ed is at non twelve step I'm going to go back to the site here. And I'm, the yeah. number where you can reach he and Marianne Barnes is 310-541-6350 or 888-541-6350. And it is www.912step.com. And this is one the only place, perhaps, where you can be really, really confidential. There are no groups. It's one-on-one and you only have to go away for a week. Uh so and I want you to I'll put it in my calendar Ed, that when the book mm-hmm. is finished and out let's have you back on again. And okay, well, well I appreciate
2: out. that and that helps with my motivation which is <laughs> yeah. not always at its high point. So.
1: Yeah, well, it's important these books get out there. Like, I talked to Jeff oh, Wood, yes. who wrote Beyond Addiction, you know, Jeff. And Jeff was like, I was like, well, where was this book? He said, Monica, it wasn't finished. He goes, it wasn't even out. Like, I needed that book in 2012 or whatever, you know, for a family member. And it came out in December of 2014. And I bought it, and it was mm-hmm. really helpful. It's so helpful. Yep. Um, But it is really great. We talked about getting together in person and talking. I would love to do that further but thank you so much for being on the show with me today and i look forward to having you on again
2: good and i appreciate the exposure and the opportunity to let people know there really are a lot of possibilities
1: i'm so glad and yeah really you're not
2: yeah. you're not diseased and you don't need to sign up to be less than human
1: okay finish that book
2: Okay. We need it. Thank you.
1: Okay. You thank you so much, Ed. Okay. Bye <laughs> everybody. You. We'll see you next week. Okay. Bye bye. Have a great day.